What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. We're on a call with David Arkish and Donald Brayman. They put together an interesting academic paper about a new legal theory, and that's really what we want to get into today. But before we do, if you could, both of you, say something about yourselves, and I guess maybe, Donald, if we start with you? Sure. I'm an associate professor here at George Washington University, and I also work with prosecutors to help them align their practice with their values. And David? I am the director of the climate program at Public Citizen. Public Citizen is a national nonprofit public interest group. And uh, in the climate program, we do several things. We're working on electrification of vehicles. We're working on financial regulation as it relates to climate-related risks. Of course, we're working on today's topic, climate homicide. Could you tell us what you mean by that? Um, I mean, what we mean by prosecuting fossil fuel corporations for homicide for climate-related deaths is actually just that. I work on climate change, Don is a criminal law professor, and um, we got to talking about the harms of climate and the, um, in particular, the, the deaths and what the fossil fuel companies knew uh, about the harms of fossil fuel combustion and when they knew it and what they did with that information. And in talking back and forth, it sort of it dawned on us that this isn't just conduct that we dislike or that we find morally problematic, but it's conduct that is actually criminal in our view. And, you know, we spent a good amount of time looking into it and came to the conclusion that it is in fact conduct that should qualify under the law as, as homicide. Um, the, the sort of knowing or at least negligence, possibly reckless, possibly knowing um, combustion of fossil fuels um, you know, aggressively lying about it to deceive people so that nobody would stop uh, that conduct or nobody would, you know, put in place pollution controls or, or work toward other technologies that are cleaner and safer. It's sort of the combination of all the behavior. But uh, in our view, it really does qualify under the law as, as homicide. And our sort of best uh, analysis of, of of why it isn't being discussed that way and no one is prosecuting has a lot more to do with the political and economic power of fossil fuel companies than it has to do with any problems with the law. Some lawyers have said that they think this is unworkable. And what would your answers to that question be? The way that uh, we think about these issues in the context of the criminal law is that where someone causes some harm or generates some risk of death and then death results, that is one of the necessary pieces of homicide doctrine. And I don't think anyone disputes that fossil fuel companies are extracting, refining, producing, marketing, and selling a product that is causing climate change, or that climate change is causing all sorts of harms, including deaths. Um, 
the fossil fuel companies speculated that that would happen. They predicted it was going to happen, and then it did happen. And I think everyone at this point accepts that it is happening. The second piece of a crime of homicide is having what we call a culpable mental state or a mens rea. And that is what turns that conduct that could be inadvertent or accidental into a crime. So where a corporation is criminally negligent or reckless or has knowledge, they're practically certain that a death will result from their conduct. That's what turns that conduct into a crime. So if someone is negligent, right? So they engage in conduct that substantially deviates from what a reasonable person would do in those circumstances, then that could be negligent homicide. If, if a defendant uh, corporation is conscious of a substantial and unjustifiable risk, that death will result from their conduct, but they proceed nonetheless, then that qualifies as recklessness. And recklessness can bring a more serious version of a homicide, either involuntary manslaughter or um, what is often described as uh, depraved and malignant heart murder. So uh, if they engage in that conduct, showing a disregard for the value of human life, then that can be actually qualify them as committing murder rather than just manslaughter. And then finally, they know or are practically certain that death will result from their conduct, then that bumps up to murder. I, I started by saying I don't think anyone disputes the fact that fossil fuels cause climate change and climate change is causing death. The question is, what did they know? How culpable was their mental state in engaging in the conduct that they did? And here we have the emergence of an enormous amount of evidence. The Exxon new disclosures and now the new disclosures about Shell that just came out a few days ago show that they very clearly understood what the consequences of their actions were back in the 1980s and 90s. And they proceeded with a conscious disregard for those very substantial and unjustifiable risks. They developed a very powerful and well-funded disinformation campaign to convince everyone that either climate change was not something under our control or that it was impossible to tell whether their conduct was contributing to climate change. And both of those are flatly contradicted by a mountain of documents that have been released now to the public. And so that research revealing what they knew when is what brings that conduct that is extremely problematic conduct into the realm of the criminal law. It seems to me it might be difficult to tie a particular individual's death to the conduct of the oil companies. We have two responses to that. One is that there will be circumstances where I don't think it's all that ambiguous. For example, where someone is transporting themselves on an ice road that has been frozen for 
thousands of years. And now that path or that road or that trail has melted and that person falls to their death. That is a very clear example of how climate change can impact an individual's death. And there are uh, more and more of these people falling through the ice or falling through the permafrost or sinkholes or various other types of tragedies that are clearly solely caused by climate change, not by some other thing. And so those deaths, I think, would be very easy to link to the conduct of the fossil fuel companies. The second response is that when something like Hurricane Maria happens, the scientists who study attribution of a storm or a disaster, they can assess how many additional deaths were caused by climate change. Then you would have to have experts testify to the specific deaths in question to attest to those being caused by climate change. This is no different than other complex prosecutions where there are lots of parties who have died in some type of disaster or accident. And maybe a third thing, these corporations engaged in what many people would describe and has been described in court filings, for example, in the municipalities of Puerto Rico versus Exxon, et cetera, as conspiracy and racketeering. And what that does is it brings together all of the corporations who were members of the Global Climate Coalition and the American Petroleum Institute who held these strategizing meetings about how to convince the public that what they were doing was not harmful in together and so that their impact on any outcome can be assessed together, not individually per company. Well, this sounds like a very powerful tool, but it hasn't been used. I mean, big tobacco harmed a lot of people and would act in a deceptive way, but there was a civil suit. However, recently, I believe PG&E was charged with criminal violations uh, for the fires. So I guess if you could talk about the strategies. And why the tobacco companies haven't been charged with homicide, because that's been pretty clear. It's interesting. We can't read the minds of the public officials who pursued the strategies that they pursued against tobacco companies. What we do know now and this is from internal documents from the tobacco companies themselves, they were worried about prosecution. It's certainly not the case that they thought it was off the table or, or something that couldn't happen. Um, and so really, it, it must just be a matter of the the strategy um, adopted by the attorneys general who went after them. And you know, it may have something to do with getting a large settlement, right? Which is, which was a lot of public money for those states, something, I, I don't know. But but it was certainly on the table um, legally. I'll also say that with respect to the tobacco companies, nobody's happy with the way that that came out. You have attorneys general now who are still upset with the way that the master settlement agreement for big tobacco ended up making the states financially dependent on 
the profits of tobacco companies. Tobacco companies wanted to get criminal immunity as part of that settlement and didn't. But what they were able to do was to offer a large amount of money upfront and then over time to every state for the harms that their product was imposing on the public in that state. And that money is what in the law we call a moral hazard. You had a broader question about the strategy here. And what Don was just saying relates to that question of what is a prosecutor's strategy or an attorney general strategy. And one huge issue is what is the remedy, right? When you're you're thinking about going after someone for misconduct, you want to be sure that there's a, a good reason to do that and there'll be a good, useful outcome from doing it. And that question is often a lot more complicated when you're talking about misconduct by large corporations. Um, you're sort of caught between remedies that are inadequate, like fines or something that are small enough that the company would happily just pay them and count that as part of the cost of doing business and continue its misconduct. So what's the point? Or penalties that essentially sort of delete an entire company and destroy the value that it might actually be creating um, in addition to whatever the misconduct was, might put a lot of people out of work who had nothing to do with the misconduct. This was the big complaints about the Enron case and Arthur Anderson collapsing afterward. And our paper also tries to point the way there also, because there is this relatively new uh, notion that you can essentially reform the company, right? Corporations are creatures of contract. They're, they're, they're based on a piece of paper and you can rewrite that contract and make it more of a social contract rather than just a business contract. You can turn the company around and require it to have certain publicly beneficial purposes or purposes that undo some of the harm that it did. And we think that could be a really fruitful avenue uh, that might actually make it worthwhile to, to prosecute them. That leads to the question of why you think a criminal charge is better than a civil charge. That's a great question. I mean, there are a bunch of advantages to criminal actions over civil actions. And one strategic reason to sort of continue with the conversation that we had, especially if there's a possibility of prosecuting some of the individuals involved, is that that puts a lot more pressure on the company to come to the table and, and, and strike a, a beneficial deal. Some of the board of directors might actually be in criminal liability. I don't know about the board of directors, and I wouldn't necessarily speak to anyone in particular, but it is the case that in these companies, decisions are made by human beings and that there will be individual human beings whose, whose conduct is implicated and uh, who could be prosecuted. That's not our purpose. That's not our point. Uh, this isn't about retribution. This is about holding these companies accountable in a way that, that solves the problem and turns this situation around and prevents thousands and thousands, if not millions, and possibly someday billions of deaths and other harms. Um, but again, there, there are also many other advantages to criminal prosecution, lots of powers and abilities that prosecutors have that you would not have in a civil action. And um, Don, you want to talk about those? Yeah, sure. The tools that are available to prosecutors are vast and powerful, and they provide prosecutors with a lot of options that civil complainants don't have. So where there's probable cause that a crime is ongoing, a prosecutor may seize the property associated with that crime. 
And so we're a fossil fuel company to hold out and say that they don't want to add a clause to their corporate charter that just says that they are going to think about the negative effects they have on the climate and the environment and the society in which they operate. Prosecutors could ask to seize all their assets and auction them off to competitors. That's not something that a private claimant can do. Uh, and that is without going through a trial. It's also the case that there are other penalties that could be imposed that are significantly greater than the private law penalties. For example, not just fines, but prosecutor could push a corporation into receivership. We think that there is a real case to be made for a corporation and for the board to consider to restructure in a way that they start helping to resolve the problem rather than continuing to commit the crime and exacerbating the problem. And because they're capable of doing that at scale, it would make sense to use that corporate structure, but just inject some conscience into that corporation, right? require them to think about what it is that they're doing as part of their business model. I think that we're not asking for heads on pikes or people to be sent to prison or any of that. The idea that you could use incarceration or the threat of incarceration or receivership or the threat of receivership or the threat of asset forfeiture to motivate a corporation to just alter its charter so that it is a public benefit corporation and not a global catastrophe <laughs> corporation would be not asking too much. Now, suppose a prosecutor brings one of these cases and they don't win. What would be the benefit of doing that? And what would be some of the downsides of doing that? The benefit, I think, right out of the gate is gaining access to the information that the corporation has about what it knew and when. The fact that we are so far along in this process and do not have full access to the information that these corporations generated internally about climate change and then failed to act upon or acted in the opposite way that a reasonable person or corporation would in light of that information is a real problem. And so we're getting leaks, we're getting revelations that come out um, through the extremely difficult work that researchers are putting in to unearth this information. And so there's a lot of valuable information there, but there's another kind of information that's important, which is information about the size of the harm that these corporations are inflicting on the public and the immoral quality of that harm. If you look at the scale of the harm and the antisocial nature of the conduct, given what they knew, that information, I think, is also valuable to the public. Moreover, 
that information, even before there would be any trial, would also be available to shareholders and to the board so that they can understand the severity of the harm that their corporation is engaged in producing and exposing the public to and can think about what they would like the corporation to do and how the corporation should respond. I suspect that they would not want to be a shareholder or a board member on a corporation that is being tried for homicide. I'll also say that prosecutors can describe the importance of appropriate moral conduct in the world by bringing a prosecution against those who are doing this amount of harm and are doing so with such a culpable mental state. That information is something that the public is entitled to. Are prosecutors really serving us and protecting us? They are here to serve and protect the public and they need to know when people are engaging in egregious conduct that is extremely harmful to them and that prosecutors take that seriously. And so I think that information is also very valuable. I'm sure David has other ideas about this. Well, just one other thing. Prosecutors do make mistakes and they sometimes, you know, they are capable of bringing a case that they lose. I don't think they're very likely to do that in this instance. And more likely is that it wouldn't get to trial because the fossil fuel companies would come to the table and reach a deal. If a prosecution is brought and the case is really strong, which I imagine it would only be brought if the case were really strong, then I don't think that many defendants are going to want to roll the dice on that as opposed to cut a deal that gives them certainty and gives them a pathway forward uh, and, and ends the chapter. Yeah. And I say one more thing about this, which is that we cut out a whole section describing how public understanding of climate change and climate science has shifted over time and continues to shift. And over time, more and more people are accepting climate science and are resistant to the disinformation campaigns that fossil fuel companies have been running. So over time, we think that the probability of a successful prosecution is increasing every year. We have come to the point where we have a generation that is extremely anxious and uncertain about their future on our planet. And they get it. They're fully aware that their future could be something that is relatively sustainable if we all work hard and pull together, or could be globally catastrophic, just to quote fossil fuel companies describing what they foresaw coming, right? Globally catastrophic. And they are very concerned about that. And they are also increasingly likely to attribute the climate change and the harms that are related to climate change to fossil fuel companies. Uh, this is going to be a serious problem for fossil fuel companies. I'll also say the second major reason for this is that the climate-related harms are escalating year over year. And so as the public observes more and more climate harms, and as more and more of the revelations about what they foresaw you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, 40 years ago, are coming to pass, they are also becoming very distressed about 
the relationship between fossil fuel production and consumption and climate change. And so I think that there are real indicators that whether or not a case could succeed today, and I personally think that in many jurisdictions, a case could succeed, over time, cases in many, many more jurisdictions will be more plausible and successful. I have followed some of the climate change lawsuits that have been going on since, I don't know, 2015, whatever. And everything goes very slowly. Is there a different time frame with the criminal route? Yes. Uh, Everyone's entitled to a speedy trial in the criminal justice system. Now, defendants can delay, but generally speaking, it is harder to delay prosecutions than it is to delay civil suits. And one of the reasons for this is that prosecutions occur at the state level. And so there are just far fewer federal appellate tactics that a corporation can bring against a criminal case at the state level. What do you see might happen going forward? Well, there, I mean, there are also many other crimes, right? We, we decided to start with the most serious crime, homicide, the causing of death. But there are multiple other crimes, and we're working on another article on that. And those involve lots of lesser offenses. So even where someone does not die, right, but they've been exposed to very serious potential harms, that's reckless endangerment. Uh, as you know, there are many lawsuits asserting some type of um, claim of fraud and looking for some sort of remedy with respect to the fraud. Those are civil cases, but fraud is also a crime. And so there are many different types of crimes that are uh, versions of fraud. And so those could be prosecuted as criminal cases as well. And as we discussed earlier, the cooperation and coordination of these very large multinational corporations in developing and deploying the disinformation campaign and essentially committing fraud, whether it's securities fraud or uh, consumer fraud or some other type of fraud, that can lead to a conspiracy or a racketeering charge. And so I would just encourage you to anyone who's interested to read the municipalities of Puerto Rico versus Exxon and the 40 other corporations and the 100 other unnamed defendants and just take a look through the conduct that they're asserting there. That's what uh, I think is a great introduction to some understanding of what's happening there. They're alleging all of those as civil harms, right? harms that they can sue for some type of financial remedy to and some injunctions. But those are all, generally speaking, crimes as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's really been great. Thank you you so so much much for your Philadelphia. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation 
to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.